Alright, tonight we are in 1 John chapter 3, and this chapter right here is probably one of the more difficult chapters of the Bible where people uh, really kind of get confused and wonder how are we supposed to interpret this, because there's no doubt when we, if you just isolate certain verses, by itself it seems to contradict other places in the Bible. And so the thing is, we know the Bible never contradicts itself. So obviously we're looking at something wrong and we have to figure out how to look at it. And there's some different theories on how to interpret this chapter. And we're going to look at those, but I am convinced that my theory is correct and everyone else is wrong. And we'll see if anybody agrees with me when this is done. But I will say it was about three years, three or four years ago when I, I decided I wanted to preach you this. And I was pretty sure I figured out what John was talking about, but it was proving it that was difficult for me. And I think I can present to you proof that I'm not stretching this uh, when it comes to my, the conclusion I have come to on this tonight. And so, because, uh, you know, the title of tonight is Can a per- Save Person Sin? And obviously, you know, we can sin, folks. Okay. But here, whosoever born of God sinneth not, obviously, what are we going to do about that? And I, I think it's pretty clear what we're supposed to do. So let's go ahead and start reading in verse 1. It says, well, let's start reading in verse 28 of chapter 2. Let's go back a couple verses uh, before we get into chapter 3 just to remember where we left off. And it says, And now, little children, abide in him, that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If, we know, if ye know that he is righteous, ye know that everyone that doeth righteousness is born of him. Now, here's the question. What is doing righteousness? Is it helping old ladies across the street? Is it, you know, loving your neighbor? Is it donating to charities? If that's doing righteousness, you know, Bill Gates donates to some charities, but <laughs> yeah, that guy's not righteous. Don't, you, know, you know, I mean, and then how much righteousness do you have to do? You know, and do you have to do it all the time? I mean, aren't these legitimate questions? But I believe based on what we've read so far, that the doing righteousness is loving your brother. That's what I believe it's talking about. I don't think it's referring to all righteousness and all works of the law. I believe he is talking about what he is dealing with. The problem that's going on is you have people who say they are of God, who deny Christ and they hate their brother. And he's he's letting these people know, no, we know we are of God because we have the Father and the Son. You don't get the Father without the son. We also know that we are of God because we love the brethren. And unlike these other people, and so we know that everyone that doeth righteousness, of loving the brethren, is of God. I believe that's what he's talking about, and I think as we go through chapter 3, we're going to continue to see this. So in verse 1, he says, "Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God, therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. You know why your brothers can't figure out who you are, really are and why they hate you so much? Because they don't even they couldn't even figure out who God was. When when God was manifest in the flesh, when Jesus came to this earth, they didn't understand who he was. And you know what they did? They killed him. And I, I believe that's what he's referring to. And so the world knoweth us not because it knew him not. They're not able to see who we really are. And it's it's that way too. We can apply this to just the people of the world today, not just Jews. The lost people in the world today, they don't understand who we really are. You know, we got today when we went sowing, we got a lot of rejections today. I mean, people were just a little more rude than normal today. I don't know what's going on. 
But you know what? You know why they treated us that way? Because they don't understand who we really are. And they, you know, they don't know God. And you know what? Why would they know who we are? They're not going to know. They're not going to understand. But let me tell you something. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be. We don't look like sons of God, do we? I mean, I was wearing a white shirt and black pants and a tie. I probably looked like a Mormon when I went up there. And they might have thought I was a Mormon. Maybe that's why they were being so mean. But at the same time, it doth not yet appear what we shall be. I'm not always going to look like this. One of these days, everybody's going to know who the sons of God are. But it says, well, we know, when's that going to happen? But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And we're looking forward to that day when we lose this flesh and we receive that glorified body and it, it becomes apparent who we are. Who we are on the inside, one of these days is going to show on the outside. We're looking forward to that day. So we are sons of God now. He's very clear. Right now we're sons of God. Right now. Right now we're sons of God. And if I may chase a rabbit, how come it doesn't say daughters of God? Have you ever wondered about that? Why doesn't it say daughters of God there? Well, I'm, you know, this is just my opinion on that. I believe it's because it's kind of a rank thing. And you know, on earth, you know, a son and a daughter, they kind of rank differently because sons are the ones that receive the inheritance where the daughters are given away. But when it comes to our standing with God, you know, there is, there is no lower standing for daughters of God. So it's just like it calls us all sons of God because of the fact, not because we're all male in Christ, but because we all have the same standing, the same inheritance. And you know what? The world's all looking for equality amongst the sexes. Well, where do they see the transformation and the new body and in the, and in the new kingdom? That's when we're really going to get it. In the meantime, ladies, you're under the curse. So some things are different. Sorry about that. Blame your great-great-grandma. But anyway, that's another subject for another day. But that's, that's my opinion on that. I think, I, I think it's because spiritually you do rank the same. On earth and in our earthly ministry and in our church, you know, we, we still are going to, we have to honor these earthly things that God has put in place where the man is in authority. But spiritually speaking, uh, you all uh, are equal. And that's why in Christ there's neither male nor female. So uh, just a little side lesson there. But again, we're the sons of God now, but our transformation has not happened. Yet proving once again, saved people are not perfect or sinless. We are not without sin. And that's why we're, we have to have that transformation. So we're waiting for that. And in verse 3, and every man that hath this hope, this hope of being like Christ one of these days, purifieth himself even as he is pure. Just because we're not going to be exactly like Christ until He returns doesn't mean we're not going to start trying and doing our best. It doesn't mean we're not going to start living like it and trying to purify ourselves and trying to apprehend that for which we are apprehended of in Christ. Every one of us should be trying to do our very best as a Christian to be like Christ and to make that transformation to be as small as possible when Christ comes back. I think that's a good, I think that's a good goal. So our reformation that we have in our lives in reality is pretty lame but hopefully it's a sincere expression of our desire to be like christ and it shows the hope that one day we are going to be like him and so verse 4 says whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law for sin is the transgression of the law and we know and ye know that he was manifested to take away our sins and in him 
is no sin. So now, have our sins been taken away yet? Now, the penalty has been taken away, but physically speaking, we only have the promise of it. But it hasn't physically happened yet. Like we saw on Wednesday in Acts 3, Jesus Christ turned every one of them from their iniquities at the cross. That's when, that's when he did it. That's when the price for sin was paid. That's when the offering was given. But the restitution of all things, you know, that's something that's going to come in the future. So right now, we have a righteous standing with God. Our sins are taken care of. But we don't have the physical possession of it yet. But we are, we are waiting for it. And so, in verse 6, it says, Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. And we're going to go through, and I'm going to show you what to do with this. And I, and I encourage you to maybe take notes, listen, and go back and read this again and check for yourself. Because we, we uh, I, I don't have time to like write out a whole diagram of everything. But I'm going to show you what I think we need to do with this. It says, so, whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. Whosoever sinneth hath not seen him, neither known him. Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. He that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. In this, the children of God are manifest, and the children of the devil, whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. Now, folks, if he's talking about the children of God being manifest, or the ones who have no sin in their life, meaning they never transgress any of God's law, where are they being manifested at? We definitely don't have any of them here. Where are, where are these people? If that's what he's talking about, I've never seen a Christian. I've never seen a child of God if that's what he's talking about. This is a very puzzling passage, and there are a few, a few schools of thought. All right? There's two main schools of thought that are out there, and the, probably the most common one, if you read any commentary, you read any books on 1 John, what they're going to tell you is it's referring to continual or habitual sin. So it'll talk, when it's talking about committing sin, it means like the continued process of it. You know, not just doing it one time, but you're just continually doing it. So a habitual sin. Most people, that is their position on, on this passage. And it's referring to habitual sin. Yeah, you know, you might sin sometime. You know, you might slip up, have a bad day, go take a drink, something like that. But you're not going to continue to. You're not going to live in that. You know, we might sometimes as Christian, we might fall in a mud puddle. But you know what? We're going to go take a bath. We're not going to live in that mud puddle. You know, you're going to clean yourself up. You're, but those, these people who just continually live in it, they're not of God. And they eventually show themselves. That is what most people teach. That this is referring to just continual habitual sin. But the problem with this theory is nobody can consistently define what those sins are. Well, which sins? I mean, you know, let's just be honest. I mean... Now, I'm sure there's probably some sins in here that you all have repented of and haven't done in years, but there's sins that you haven't repented of. And maybe you've repented of them in the sense that, you know, you know they're wrong and you try not to do it, but you mess up sometimes. So how much can you mess up? 
you know, what counts as habitual sin. Nobody can really define these things. You know, and so, uh, you know, and how much am I allowed to sin before it's considered habitual? You know, I think these are legitimate questions. We're trying to find out who's truly a child of God. So somebody's got to tell me how much they can sin. Nobody can really do that. You know, it's just anybody's guess when it comes to that. So that's the main theory. The less common theory is that it's referring to the spiritual man. And it's saying that the spiritual man, some people say, well, you know, it's referring to that which is born of God, meaning the spiritual man. And the spiritual man can't sin. It's only the flesh that sins. It's the carnal man that sins. And the problem with that, uh, and that's always kind of been my thinking on that, but I've never felt completely honest about that. And the problem with this concept is that there's no indication anywhere that John's referring to the spiritual man. He makes no reference to it unless it's the that which is born of God, meaning it's a spiritual man. But he doesn't specifically mention that anywhere. So for us to just assume that that's it, you know, and then go to one of Paul's writing about the spiritual man, well, I get it. The spiritual man is a real thing. That is a true concept. You know, I, I get all that, but are you sure that's what John's talking about? I don't think it's clear. In fact, I think we're going to see here in a second that he really can't be talking about that. That really doesn't make uh, a whole lot of sense. And so the idea that he's talking about the inner man, it really can't make sense when we look at verses 9 and 10 because it tells us, look at what it says in verse 9 and 10. It says, um, Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. In this, the children of God are manifest, and the children of the devil. Whosoever doeth righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. So the thing is, if, it's, uh, if in this, the children of God are manifest, and the children of the devil are manifest, well, if it's talking about the inner man, how can I see that? You know, we can't see the inner man, folks. But he's saying that the sin that the person commits, it manifests the fact that they are of the devil. And so the thing is, if this is talking about sin in general, then any time somebody wants to accuse me of sin, I can say, well, that's not me. That's just the, that's the carnal man. You know, the spiritual man never sins. But then how, do, how is it manifest the sons of God Versus the children of the devil. It's got to be something that we can see. And folks, the only sin that any of us can see are the sins that we do in the flesh. And saved people do sin in the flesh. And lost people do sin in the flesh. So, that doesn't really work. That's not, that, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And so I personally believe that the, in this passage, that the sin that he is referring to, that a Christian cannot do, is the sin of hating your brother. Okay? And now, here's what I want. I want us to go back and look at this passage again. And I want you to follow along. All right, Look real close at what it's doing. And this is what I believe is being communicated here. This is what I believe he's doing. So in verse 4, look at what it says. Whoso committeth sin, the sin of hating your brother. Okay, let me. I'm adding in my own words here. I'm not trying to add to the Bible. I'm adding in my own commentary. So whoso committeth sin... The sin of hating your brother transgresseth also the law, for sin is a transgression of the law. So therefore, you know, these Jews who think they're keeping the law, they're lawbreakers too because they're hating their brother. 
Because, you know, you're not supposed to do that. And ye know that he was manifest. He was manifested to take away our sins. And I believe the sins that he was manifest to take away were the sins of the law. Okay. And in him is no sin. Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. And I believe right here it's referring back to the main subject of hating your brother. Whosoever sinneth hath not seen him, neither known him. That sin is the sin of hating your brother. Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, meaning loving the brethren, even as he is righteous. He that committeth sin, the sin of hating your brother. Not the sin of losing your temper, not the sin of saying a bad word. The sin of hating your brother is of the devil. For the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, the sin of hating your brother. For his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin or hate his brother, because he is born of God. In this the children of God are manifest, and the children of the devil. Whosoever doeth not righteousness, loving the brethren, is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. For in for this is the message that ye heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. So notice he's referring to sin, and then what does he specify? What does he get? This is the message we heard from the beginning, that you should love one another, and I believe that the sin that he's talking about is the sin of violating the command of loving one another. And I think for people to just come along and then read that where it says sin, but then insert any sin that they want to, I think is dishonest. I believe John, when he was referring to the sin, he was being specific about the sin of hating your brother. And it's confusing because he also uses sins as sins in general, sins of the law. He does use that in, in the scripture. But at the same time, I do believe when... And, and the thing is, in First John, he makes it clear, we sin. He said, if we, we say we have no sins, sins of the law, then you know, we do lie. But then when he goes on to say that that which is born of God sinneth not, he is, and it's something that can be manifested so we can know the difference between the sons of God and the children of the devil. It can't be referring to inner man things because we can't see that. This is referring to something outward that we can see. And what is mentioned over and over again is hating your brother. That's a sin. You're not supposed to do that. You, and you, you can't do that. It, it doesn't make sense for a saved person that is born of God to just have hatred for the people of God. It doesn't work. It doesn't make sense. Something's wrong. And, and, I, I, and so I believe that's what John is talking about. And then he goes on in verse 12, not as Cain, who was of that wicked one and slew his brother. And wherefore slew he him? Because his own works were evil and his brother's righteous. So what was Cain's problem? He hated his brother. Why? He was jealous. He got jealous over his brother. He slew his brother. Now, folks, what were the Jews during, doing during the Christians during this time? They were killing them. The Jewish Christians, their Jewish brothers. Why? Because you had the Jews, Cain, who are bringing the work of their hands, they're bringing, you know, the, their own righteousness. They're presenting that before God. And then you have their brothers who are of faith like Abel. And what did they do? They did exactly what Cain did. And they were killing their brethren. 
So it's very clear what the sin is here. It's hating the brethren. And so John is assuring these people, you're the ones that are of God. You're the ones that are like Abel. You're the ones that are of faith. You're the ones that believe on Christ. You have the Father and the Son. You're the ones that are actually obeying the Scriptures because you're, you're loving the brethren. And I imagine they were probably heartbroken over the fact that their brothers now hated them. And here's people, they hate them, and they have a love for these people because they're, you know, they're family. They're people they used to worship with. But then these people, they have a hatred for them. They're trying to kill them. I mean, think about, we're going to be looking pretty soon in Acts, at the story of Stephen. Stephen was a Jew. Stephen was, I mean, these are his own people, but when they heard the things he was preaching, they gnashed on him with their teeth. I mean, in great rage, they went and they stoned that guy. What that, that kind of hatred, folks, that is not of God. That is of the devil right there. And they were of the devil, just like Cain, and they were slaying their brother, physically, physically speaking. So, I think it's very clear what we're talking about, about here. And so the Jews were killing Christians like Cain. He didn't bring up the sin of drunkenness. He didn't bring up the sin of fornication. He brought up the sin of hating his brother. He's been talking about, he talks about that through the whole book. So what I want to do right now, I want to repeat some things that I covered a while back when we were going through 1 Peter chapter 4 because I think this is what kind of made it all click for me and you know, proved to me that this is a right concept that, that we're seeing right here. Because, uh, and so let me explain again something that's often misunderstood when we read the Bible. And so this, this is going to, I'm going to repeat some things verbatim that I did before, but I think this is important. The Bible does teach the concept of Christians turning from sin and ceasing from sin. That is in the Bible. But what does that mean? Okay. What does that mean when the Bible talks about ceasing from sin? What, we, that's important that we understand that we don't want a straw man, Peter. Peter talked about ceasing from sin. Oh, Peter, that Ray Comfort type, thinking we can quit sinning. You know, what, what is wrong with that? He was a heretic, you know, because he talked about ceasing from sin or turning from sin. That heretic, reprobate, pile of garbage. Obviously, he didn't mean that, folks, because nobody can completely quit sinning. But he did say those words. Those words, I heard those words come out of his mouth. I saw it written in his book. Right there in First Peter. We're going to look at it here. Look what it says in First Peter chapter 4, verse 1. For as much in as Christ has suffered us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. For he that hath suffered in the flesh hath ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lust of men, but to the will of God. Folks, there it is right there. Peter wasn't saved. Peter wasn't saved. He thought you could cease from sin. Obviously, Peter was saved. Okay, obviously, it's right there. Those, I'm just looking at his words. I'm reading them verbatim. Okay, but no, what was he talking about? Well, we see in Galatians 2.15, Paul said, we who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles. Paul said they weren't sinners like the Gentiles. What does that mean? Okay, it's referring to a way of life. It is referring to a lifestyle. The Gentiles... They lived a life that was devoted to the things of the flesh and they gave themselves over to fornication and to all unrighteousness and all these things while the Jews were making an attempt. 
the Jews were at least trying. And folks, that's all we're doing. We're just trying. Okay? We are trying to live righteous. Now, the law teaches us that we come short of the glory of God because we've all transgressed God's law. We get that. And Jews need to get that. And that's why they need to trust in Christ to be saved. But understand that if you have, if you are trying to live a life for God and you are, you're saying no to the flesh, that's ceasing from sin. That's repenting of sin. Okay, that's you, you've changed your life. You're on a new path. Okay, and it's in uh, that's the way the Bible puts it. And so I believe in First John three nine when he's saying, "Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin." I believe it's a specific sin. And so again, there's a lot a lot of confusion. I talked about this one with the First Peter four because of the ray comforts who confuse people. With his routine, where he asks everyone if they've ever told a lie. You know, have you ever told a lie? Now, understand, that works in showing people, I need a Savior, I come short of the glory of God. But at the same time, too, you know, it, it doesn't mean, you know, because you've told someone, you've told a lie before, that I can call you a liar now. That, not, that isn't technically right. Okay, and... Said so if his and if his theology was correct, Ray Comfort, and it was consistent, one would not only have to commit to never lying again, but they would actually have to follow through and be successful on it. And it would be a works-based salvation, or at least a works-based justification. But the one thing we do when when we use this reasoning, like Ray Comfort does, it's a flawed reasoning, and we don't want to use the same foolish, flawed reasoning to try to debunk it. And remember the illustration I used? How many of you here have ever, you know, unclogged a toilet before? Hey, you're a plumber. All right? I'm a plumber, ladies and gentlemen. I've connected pipes. I mean, I've put in a bathtub. I've put in sinks. That is the work of a plumber. That is what plumbers do. But folks, I'm not a plumber. First off, I'm not even very good at it. You know, second, second of all, it's very rare I do that type of work at all. You know, but you've done it before, therefore, you're a plumber. No, it would, be, it would be misleading for me to go telling people I am a plumber. It would be misleading because they're going to assume that's what I do for a living. They're going to assume that's a trade of mine. They're going to assume I'm probably good at what, I'm do, at what I do. But no, that's not the case. And so understand, you know, if you've committed some sin, if you've committed fornication in the past, you need the blood of Jesus to save you from your sins so you can go to heaven. But you know what? I don't think it's fair to keep calling you a fornicator when you've quit doing it. I don't think it's fair to continue calling someone an adulterer when they've quit doing it, when they've repented of that sin, when they've confessed that sin and Jesus has forgiven them of that sin and he's cleansed them from that sin and for us to just keep holding it over their head and nailing them with it. I don't think that's right. I don't think that's what we are. I don't think that's what we're supposed to do. And so um, in 1 John 3, you know, we're seeing this constant mentioning of the sin of denying Christ and hating your brother. Those are definitely sins. And we would not identify whether someone is saved or lost just because they committed any sin. But we definitely would if they were committing the sin of denying Christ and hating their brother, wouldn't we? 
If they are doing that, we would say, I don't think that person is saved. Those are, and, but those are definitely sins, aren't they? And so we would... Um, so another question, and I brought this up last time, you know, what if I used to be a plumber? What if at one time that was my trade, but I haven't done it in years? I'm not licensed anymore. Would it be right for me to say I'm a plumber because I used to be one? So, you know, or if I, somebody pastored for years, and they, or, and, but they haven't done it now in several years, and then to go around telling people they're a pastor? Well, that's kind of misleading, isn't it? That's not really right. And so sometimes when the Bible is talking about sinners, it is in the context of our standing before a holy God and we all come short of God's glory. Sometimes that's what it's talking about in the Bible. But sometimes in the Bible when it's talking about sinners, it's the context of their standing within the church or their standing in a certain position that they currently hold or how they are living their lives at that time in relation to who and what they are a part of. In 1 Corinthians 6, 9, it says, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers themselves of mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. Well, why aren't they anymore? If they've done it before, according to Ray Comfort, then they're that. But no, ye are washed. Ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. He's made us not those things anymore. He's cleansed us from that. And so in 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 20, when it's talking about the elders, when it's, when it's referring to the elders, he gives some instructions about receiving an accusation against an elder. So it's not receiving an accusation, but before two or three witnesses. Make sure you have witnesses present if you're going to receive that accusation against an elder, and if that elder has sinned, says them that sin, rebuke before all that others also may fear. So does that mean if you all see me do any sin, you need to get a counsel together and rebuke me before all? Or is this referring to if I've done something to disqualify myself? Because we also remember... Earlier in 1 Timothy, it gave the qualifications of a bishop. And so if I've done something that has disqualified myself from being a bishop, and you've seen that, you know what? You ought to get some witnesses together. You ought to bring that to the church. And if it turns out that I have, in fact, disqualified myself, then you know what? I ought to be rebuked before all. I, ought, I should be dealt with. It. I should be dealt with at that point. But if I've just, if you can, you know, but it's got to be something specific that was mentioned that would disqualify a man from being a pastor. And, you know, if I lost my temper and I kicked a cat across the room, you know, I don't think that, you know, I don't think that really disqualifies me. I shouldn't do that. We ought to be nice to kittens, right? But at the same time, too, you know, I don't, I don't know that that constitutes, you know, a pastor getting fired from his job. So... Uh, I think it needs to be something that was specifically mentioned. And again, all those things were mentioned were definitely sins. It says in Exodus 32, 32, yet now, if thou wilt forgive their sin, and if not, block me, I pray thee out of thy book, which thou hast written. And the Lord said unto Moses, whosoever hath sinned against me, him will I blot out of my book. So wait a minute. 
Moses is saying, you know, God, kill me instead of them. And he's saying, no, I'm, I'm, I'm going to kill those that sin. So wait, did Moses never sin? Or was God referring to the sin of them making the golden calf like they had done? Sometimes when the Bible uses the word sin, it's being very specific. Sometimes it is general, meaning any transgression of the law, but sometimes it's specific. And don't let somebody come along on, and when the word sin is used for something specific, let them just apply it to whatever sin they want. I saw you spit on the sidewalk when there was a sign that said not to do it. That's a sin. Disqualified from pastoring. No. Not born of God. No. Okay. That, no. These are specific things. The Bible says sin. Submit yourself to every ordinance of man. You spit on the sidewalk. Get out of this church. No, that's not, that's not how that works. And I think we all understand this concept, but a lot of times we forget that when we're interpreting scriptures like this. And so again, sometimes in the Bible, it's talking about a sin as something that encompasses all transgressions of the law, but other times it is using that term to deal with something more specific that does not include all sins in the Bible. We would all agree we do not throw people out of the church for any sin, but there are specific sins that would get someone thrown out. Now, if we throw someone out of the church for drunkenness, you know, and we say, hey, you know, why did brother so-and-so get thrown out of church? Well, he was thrown out for sin. That's true, isn't it? He was thrown out, you know, we, we threw him out for sin. Okay, it was the sin of drunkenness, which is something that specifically said, it's not supposed to be once named among you. Well, but then, all right, so, you know, brother Matt's mad, you know, we threw Kyle out for drunkenness or whatever. But then, Brother Matt, he thinks that's not right. He sees Austin spit in the sidewalk. Austin didn't submit himself to every ordinance of man. There, that's a sin. Therefore, you know what? We're throwing Kyle out for sin. I saw Austin sin. I even got it on video. We need to throw him out too. No. You know, I, I think we can just give him, hey, be respectful of the laws around here. You know, just give him a correction. You know, I, I, you know uh, we're not going to be that worried about that. So do we all understand the difference there? And, you know, but we're using the word sin in both situations. But again, it's, it's more specific of when we're saying Kyle was thrown out of the church for sin. We're being more specific in the fact that, no, he violated specific things that are mentioned in the Bible. It wasn't that he just committed any sin. So that's not right to do that. So um, any sin, you know, so, or, so the thing is. Uh, you know, sin is another way of saying you broke the rules or you're disqualified. And so we have to ask ourselves, if I'm going to be disqualified, what am I being disqualified from? You know, and that, that's an important thing. And what are the rules that disqualify you from that? All those things have to be taken into consideration. So any sin, any sin disqualifies us from entering into heaven without the blood of Christ, right? Any sin will, you know, it will get, it'll cancel you from heaven unless the blood of Christ cleanses you from your sin. But not every sin disqualifies you from going to church. The Bible uses these words in different ways. And so when you try to make John, 1 John 3 talk about sinless perfection, you're using the word completely different than John was. And the Bible is a powerful book, but your misunderstanding of a word does not change reality. We all need to get that. So there's absolutely no doubt what's going on and what John's dealing with here. And so in order to understand the meaning behind certain phrases, you have to take into consideration what was going on. This is the battle. This is the battle that's going on. 
We've got people out there who claim to be of God, who we used to worship with, we used to fellowship with, who are literally our brothers, and they're trying to kill us. And that's a violation of the law. That's, that is a sin. That is wrong. They are denying Christ. That is wrong. That is against the Word of God. And let me tell you, if they're doing that, if they're trying to kill us, if they're denying Christ, they are in sin. And, and that's true. And me saying they are in sin and we're not, meaning we aren't denying Christ, we affirm that Jesus is a Christ, that He's the Son of God, we love our brothers, it's not me saying we don't have any sins in our life. That's not what I'm communicating. And that's not what John was communicating. So verse 13 he says, marvel not, my brethren, if the world hates you. Again, it's this love-hate thing. We know that we have passed from death unto life because we quit the drinking. No, it's not what it says. Because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. If he's just talking about all sins, why is he being so narrow and only mentioning these things? No, because that's all he's talking about. So he that loveth... Because we love the brethren, he that loveth not his brother abideth in death. And so this does not mean we do not get aggravated by our brothers. In fact, brothers often aggravate us the most. We all get aggravated by family. The people we love the most, they all aggravate us. But you know what? We don't hate them. And if you do, that's weird. That's weird. Every parent wanted to, you know, felt like they wanted to strangle their children before. But you know, you don't do it. Why? Because you love them. As much as they aggravate you, as much as they drive you crazy sometimes, you still love them. And let me tell you, fellow church members will sometimes really get on your nerves. And they'll really bother you. And sometimes you even get mad at them. You know, you might even have an argument. Sometimes brothers and sisters, you know, home they hit each other and they fight with each other. And as Christians, sometimes we act like big babies and we get in these arguments and we get in these fights with each other. It doesn't mean we're not saved, but at the, at the end of the day, you don't want... You, you, hopefully you still love them. And if you don't, it's weird. That's not normal. It's not right. And so, verse 15, Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer. And ye know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoso hath this world's good and seeth his brother have need and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? It's like, I don't, I don't get that. I don't understand, you know, how you can have the love of God in you. And, you know, he's not saying that it's impossible to not be compassionate towards your brother, but he doesn't get it. I don't know how you can be that way. I mean, we should be compassionate on those. Why? Because... You know, we have God in us. Look how loving God is. Next week, chapter 4, I mean, it's, it's the whole chapter is about love and love being of God. Everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. If you are a, a child of someone, physically speaking, you expect to see similar characteristics in them, don't you? Isn't that one of the first things you do when you have a new baby? You're, you're looking to try to figure out who they look like. And, you know, and a lot of times it's hard, you know, when they're brand newborns, you know, it's kind of tough to tell. But, you know, a lot of times you can see things immediately. And as they get older, you know what you do? You start seeing more and more. You know, I saw some, um, you know, I was, saw some kids this week and some babies of people that I've known for a long time. 
And, you know, and I noticed the similarities in their parents. There was the, uh, one little boy. He looks just like his dad. I knew his dad when he was that little. I'm like, man, he looks like his dad. I can tell who his dad is. Why there's some similar characteristics there. And I expect that. And then I saw, I saw their other boy. And I can kind of see, you know, the mom and dad. And there was kind of, it was kind of a mixture. I see both of them there, you know. And, you know, you see those similar things in people. And let me tell you, when somebody is born of God and they have no love for the brethren... Weird. That is, that is really wrong. And you know what? We would all, just like you would all be freaked out if my wife had a baby and she brought it and it was a black baby. You'd be like, are you sure? That doesn't look like you at all. That's, that's completely different. And we would. We'd be suspicious. And let me tell you something. We have a right to be suspicious of people who claim to be Christians and they have no love. I have a right to be suspicious. That... Yet you should have some of the characteristics of God and His most notable characteristic is His love for us. And you don't have any? That's, uh, yeah, I, I don't believe you. I don't believe you. Maybe you're some freak of nature. I mean, you know, the first black baby was born somehow. I don't know how that went down and how that all works. But at the same time, I mean, I, I don't know. You know there, there, there's, th- there's things that can happen, but you know what, we have a right to be suspicious and maybe we don't get it 100% right. But I'm sorry, if you don't have any love for the brethren, I'm going to look at you and think, man, something's wrong with you. I don't think you're one of us. I really don't. So verse 8, it is abnormal to hate your brother. And brotherly love is one of the most natural things in the world. Verse 18, my little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And I, and I see these people too. We've had them come through here who they talk about how loving they are because they're you know, super macho soul winners and they can't get along with God's people. They don't even want to be around God's people. And it's like, but, they'll, but they know you got to say, well, I love God's people. It's not you. <laughs> I, I just, just nobody I go to church with. Everybody's a lame Christian. All the churches are bad. Nobody in these churches are saved. I think something's wrong with you. I really think something is wrong with you because you know, and you, and they, you do. You know what you're supposed to say. You know you're supposed to say you love the brethren, but you ha- you don't do it in deed. You don't do it in truth. Why? Because something's weird with you. You're you're off. You're not one of us. And hereby we know that we are of the truth, and shall assure our hearts before Him. For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not then we have confidence toward God. And whatsoever we ask, we receive of Him because we keep His commandments and do those things that are pleasing in His sight. What does that mean when it says we do His commandments? We talked about this last week. Is it the Ten Commandments? Or is it the New Commandment? Is it the love God? Is it the love your brother? Love your neighbor? The things that Jesus said, where He said on these two, hang all the law and the prophets. Is he referring to just keeping every little intricate detail of the law that we can't possibly do, that we can't possibly keep track of? You know, even though he has called us to liberty, he wants us obsessing over all these little things. Is that what he's talking about when he's talking about keeping his commandments? Or is he being specific in talking about loving the brethren? And because when we see that that's pleasing in his sight, But then look at verse 23. And this is his commandment. So in case you're not sure, 
in case you're thinking it's one of those commandments from the Old Testament that you're having a tough time with. And there's a lot of them we have a tough time with. What does he say? And this is his commandment. That we should believe on the name of his son Jesus Christ and love one another as he gave us commandment. Look at the two things that are mentioned again. Believe on the name of his son Jesus Christ. What did the Jews do? They denied Christ. They claimed the Father. They claimed to be keepers of the law. But they were not keepers of the law. They were violating the law and not even loving their brethren. They were transgressors of the law too. But they denied the Christ, therefore they didn't have... They, or they denied Jesus, so they didn't have the Father. But you know what? We affirm both. We believe on Christ. So these are the two main things that keep being covered in this book. This was the battle going on during that time. And so in verse 24, And he that keepeth his commandments... Loving your brother, accepting Jesus Christ. He that keepeth his commandments dwelleth in him, and he in him, and hereby we know that he abideth in us by the Spirit which he hath given us. So, again, what are the commandments? The, you know, you have the holiness, I'm better than you people that are out there. And let me tell you, that is one of the easiest things in the world to do is just be one of these you know, holiness types. All you got to do is just be real hardcore on something where nobody else is hardcore. You know, you, know, you ladies, if you just want to outdo everybody, you know, all you got to do is just you know, outdo the most spiritual person in the church, and then you can nail them with 1 John chapter 3 because you know, there's always going to be a sin that everyone else is doing that you're not doing. You know? But at the same time, too, watch out for that because they'll find something that you're doing but they're not doing. And that's not what this is about. This is about loving the brethren. This is about believing on Christ. Those are the commandments. We should believe on Christ. We should love our brothers. God has put that in us. And if it does not show in some way, shape, or form, we're going to rightfully be concerned. We're going to rightfully be concerned. And so, again, I, I, we've, we've got to take that in consideration and so can a saved person sin? Well, can a saved person transgress one of God's law, violate one of the Ten Commandments? Yeah, we can do that. But can a saved person deny Jesus as a Christ? Can we do that, folks? Can we deny Jesus as a Christ? Can we hate the children of God? Can we hate our brethren? I didn't ask if you can get mad at them, get aggravated by them. But can we hate them? And let me tell you something. Don't you know, I, I know what somebody's going to do. They're going to come to me and like, Pastor Tommy, I love everybody in this church, but I hate Brother Matt. And a saved person cannot hate a, a, a brother. So I'm convinced he's not saved. Because I hate him. I, I know somebody's going to think that they can do that. Okay, And if that happens, uh, we're going to put a clown wig and makeup on you and we're just going to march you out of this church and kick you out for being a clown. All right, Because, you know, that, that kind of thing is ridiculous and uh, he said you can you can go crazy with this stuff but i believe this is clearly what first john is talking about in in chapter three and so um i don't commit that sin i i i i can honestly stand here boy you know i i would feel like such a hypocrite to get up here and say folks i don't sin anymore when it comes to transgressing the laws of god you know or keeping his least commandments i would feel like a hypocrite and a liar to get up and say that 
But in the context of 1 John 3, it says, That which is born of God sinneth not. I can tell you right now, I don't sin in that area. I do believe on Christ. I am convinced Jesus is the Messiah and the Savior of the world. And I love the people of God. I love the people in my church. I love being around people in other churches. One of my favorite things to do is to go visit other churches. I love going to conferences. I love going to meetings. I love being around the people of God. When I go out souling and I run into other saved people, I'm always glad. You know, even though I want to get people saved, I'm always encouraged when I run into another brother and they're they're saying, you know, they're you know professing Jesus Christ. They're professing faith alone. They're professing once saved, always saved. I talked to the one guy today, the only guy that was nice to us today, was somebody asked him how he knew he was saved and or what you had to do to be saved. And he's like, you, you got to believe on Christ. You got to trust Christ. You know, he was he was saying everything right. And you know what? I was encouraged by that. And I liked that guy better than I liked all the other people that were shutting us down before we could even get to the door. I, that, that's how that's how I felt about him. That's normal. That is that is very normal. And when you do, when you when you see that connection, there's just something about it. And you know what? I mean, how many of you've ever been to like a family reunion before? And just the fact that you know those people there, your family, you care about them a little more than everybody else. They got the same name as I do. And so you do, you, you know, you, you have a little more love for those people, especially if, you know, you see similar characteristics and things like that. There's just an automatic care and concern. It's the most natural thing in the world. And when you don't have that, it's because you're not one of them. You're not one of them. And so that's what was going on in that day. Those, those Jews that denied Christ, they were not of God and they were not their brothers but these words, John's letting them know, you guys are right. You've got the goods. You've got Christ. You've got love for the brethren. God's in you. You're born of God. You can know you're saved. You can know for sure you're saved. So with that, let's pray. Dear Lord, I pray this message was a help. And uh, hopefully this cleared things up for people. And I pray you'll help us uh, to uh, show that love for the brethren so we can manifest ourselves as the sons of God. And help us to uh, not just do it in word. Help us not to just talk about it, but help us to show it. Uh, in our actions and in truth. And I pray you'll help us to be uh, lights as a result. In your name we pray. Amen.